0: So the clue crew is going to see a map. Birds tweeting. Usually in New York, I have to deal with like sirens, ambulances, people yelling on the street. Now it's like lawnmowers and tweeting birds. It's a very suburban problem, this episode. Welcome, fellow sleuths, to Meddling Adults, a game show where we grab our five best friends and go head-to-head to to test our wits against the prowess of fictional young detectives for charity. I'm your host, Mike Schubert, and I'm notoriously bad at solving children's mysteries, which is why I'm safely behind the judge's table letting others battle it out instead. Our contestants this week is a very special pairing of humans. It's my parents, Barbara and Joel Schubert. Mom and dad, how's it going? It's going great, Mr. Mike, Meddling (laughs) Adults, sir. As Kelly has dubbed this, this is now Take your parents to work day, which I'm very excited about. In my pajamas. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's the best part about this job. You never have to get dressed. It's wonderful. I've gone to take your son to work days for both of you. Yes. You have. I remember very few things from both. I remember drawing on a whiteboard in your engineering office with a green Expo marker, and that was very fun. You probably had a good lunch. Probably had a very good lunch. And I don't know, for KM stuff, I remember I would there would be times where you would just bring me to the office on like half days or something.
1: During the summer, sometimes. Mm -hmm. I would need you to come to work with me if I had to go to work I would bring you along and then we would go to lunch with Brian that
0: was always fun did i ever do anything helpful i remember playing a lot of sonic on my sega little game gear but i don't remember if i ever did anything productive
1: yes you did because you had summer reading and summer math So you would do both of those at the office. And one time you came and played golf with Mikey as you got a little bit older. Ah,
0: Look at me, child Mike doing big (laughs) things. (laughs) So today's mysteries are from Clue Jr., which is a new book series that we're introducing to the podcast. It is based off of the kids' edition of the board game Clue. So they have Clue the board game, they made Clue Jr. the board game, and then they made these books, which are basically propaganda to make you play Clue Jr. the board game. we never played Clue Jr. No, we We only played regular
2: Clue. And then we lost pieces. (laughs) The time we played it just recently, we all couldn't figure it out because what? The wrench was missing. missing. The lead pipe pipe was missing. missing And it was,
0: oh my God, it was We were playing the two weeks I was here before the wedding. It was very fun. We had board game nights where we played Yahtzee, we played Sorry, and then we tried to play Clue, and we We had all of our guesses. Joel tried to do a guess. He was wrong. I tried to do a guess. I was wrong. Barb tried to do a guess. Barb was wrong. And then we found out that the lead pipe card was just (laughs) not in the game. So none of us could have been correct. And we're all looking around each other like, how can that be? I can't. (laughs) It's the lead pipe. What's going on?
1: I knew I had solved that mystery.
0: So I've never played Clue Jr., but in this book series, they often say the kids were playing their favorite game, Clue Jr., (laughs) (laughs) which is fantastic. So Barbara, today you'll be playing for the Jeremy Fund. Joel, you'll be playing for Feeding America, specifically the Houston Food Bank. And before we get into the mysteries, let me just give a bit more background on Clue Jr. So it is child versions of the six characters that you can play in the Clue board game. They are kid versions of themselves, which is confusing because these kids are the characters in Clue Jr., the board game, which is their favorite board game to play. They're playing a board game about themselves. Exactly. Okay. Their names are Mortimer Mustard, Samantha Scarlet, Wendy White, Polly Peacock, Peter Plum, and Georgie Green. So it's all kid versions of our six favorite characters from the beloved board game Clue. Now, what's fun about Clue Juniors? these were written in the 90s. And if you'll notice from the cover that I'm showing you, they're all white kids. And uh, they very quickly rebranded after making the first eight books. They were like, oh, this isn't a good lust. <laughs> There's no diversity at all. The other thing we'll see as we go through the mysteries I have prepared for this episode is all of the mysteries involve them messing with each other like, it's all like of goofing. them goofing, goofing on it. Yeah, but okay. it's all, it's it's more malicious than just goofing because it's like really? people, yeah, it's like them stealing things from each other or breaking each other's property and lying about it. So the book's got some bad press because, first off, no diversity. And then, second, it very was mischievous. Not, yeah, it's mischievous and it's not teaching lessons to children because what antics do these six <laughs> best friends get into? They just mess with each other and then blame each other <laughs> for he ruining their stuff. Yeah. So they very quickly rebranded in book eight to where they're. There's more diversity in terms of the gender breakdown and the race breakdown of the kids and then also the mysteries they solve are trying to do good things like Encyclopedia Brown. But what's surprising is these came out in the 90s and it's Bad Morals whereas Encyclopedia Brown came out in the 60s and he's like helping old ladies in his neighborhood. Very strange. It's very strange. So here's how the game is going to work. I will be presenting recaps of a few mysteries from the first edition of Clue Jr., and I will be recapping these mysteries for you all. I'll lay out all the clues, the suspects, et cetera. You give me your guesses, and you will get points if you are correct in terms of who did it, their motive, et cetera. There's also bonus points at stake. First, if your guess is incorrect, and it's the same as what my incorrect guess was while I was preparing this episode, you'll get a Misery Loves Company bonus point. And also, if you do anything, Particularly fun. Your guess is particularly wild. You throw a good jab at each other. You make me laugh in some particular way. (laughs) Watch out, honey. (laughs) You make me laugh in any particular way. I could throw some bonus points around. If the game is tied at the end of these mysteries, we will go into a sudden death riddle tiebreaker. And I know Joel is the riddle master, as he used to tell us a bunch of riddles growing up. So we'll see if it even gets to that. (laughs) But let's get into our first mystery the case of the missing cake. So these kids are in school, and they are in class, and you learn that their teacher, Miss Redding, has a surprise treat for the class at the end of the lesson. She's going to give them some sort of baked good. It's in a big box because it's her birthday. But she says that they can't have it until after lunch. But when they come back from lunch and recess, Mrs. Redding grabs the box, and when she opens it, it's completely empty. So she starts asking the kids what happened and trying to get their alibis to see what everybody was doing during the lunch break. Georgie Green says that he was playing basketball with Mortimer Mustard. Mortimer says the same thing, and he tells Mrs. Redding that they were together the entire lunch period. Wendy White says that she was in the cafeteria reading. Peter Plum says that he ate his lunch quickly and spent the rest of the period in the computer room. Polly Peacock says that she was in the library working on homework and couldn't have eaten it anyway because she's allergic to chocolate. Samantha Scarlett says that she was playing jump rope with the students from Miss Mauve's class. Now, this is something you'll notice, that every person's last name in these books is a color, which I do appreciate as a little attention to detail <laughs> is that even the side characters, their names are color-based, just like in the game. So after hearing all of these things, Mrs. Redding really isn't sure what happened. But Wendy White speaks up and says that she knows who did it. So I turn to you, Barb and Joel. Who of the kids Do you think is guilty I know who did, know who did it Okay who The, the little girl The person who
1: knew It was chocolate. chocolate How
0: would they know It was chocolate Chocolate That, is,
1: <laughs> <laughs> that is correct That
0: is she never said it was chocolate cake. Uh, she kept right. it a surprise you just the knew whole time. It was a treat. You just knew it was some sort of treat that looked like cake. How would you have known it was chocolate unless you ate it? So right now, at the end of this first round, the score is tied three to three. There we go.
1: <laughs> yes, but I wanted to know if in the box there were assorted baked, baked goods, goods. <laughs> like Joel P used to buy for the soccer girls when well, they left over and the dance from girls from Eat
0: Good Bakery. I'm very excited having you two on the show because we can finally have an excuse to share Schubert family stories, which Ooh, is a which, wonderful pastime of us. Do, do you? Want I to apologize, apologize to
2: you? if it's if it's boring to the listener. Oh, no. They're going
0: to love it. They're going to eat it up. Do you want to give more detail on the assorted baked goods story of why it came to be known as assorted baked goods? So Megan had a sleepover for her
2: dance team. And then in the morning- She
1: had soccer practice oh, early. Oh, yes. Megan
2: had to go to soccer practice early. At, so
1: all the girls stayed.
2: So all the girls stayed over. and I They got, stayed
1: when she left for soccer So they practice. were still
2: sleeping, didn't know what they wanted for breakfast. So I went to the bakery, had no clue to what they wanted. So I got one of everything, chocolate donuts, uh regular donuts uh, Pastries. pastries crumb, crumb buns
1: aka assorted so baked goods so i
2: came in with this box just like <laughs> you're talking about and they opened it up and they said what's this and i said it's assorted baked goods <laughs> <laughs> and so then after Megan came back home and then the next time they slept over, they asked if I was going to get assorted baked goods every time <laughs> they were there. And of course I did and got it from Eat Good Bakery in Trenton.
0: So anyway, <sighs> that's the assorted of baked goods You're story. so prim and proper. I've brought assorted baked, baked goods, <laughs>
1: children. <laughs> well, it's what was in the box. <laughs> yeah,
0: it's not a lie. You were just being descriptive. So we go to our next mystery, The Case of the Missing Cat, which I know is oh Joel's God. dream. <laughs> Where's Kelly? Loving cats. <laughs> Joel is deathly allergic to cats. So the Clue crew are all playing with their pets in prep for the town's annual pet show where you have your pet do some sort of special trick and you can win first place if your pet does the best trick. Peter Plum's dog can walk across the room on its hind legs. Wendy White's parrot can sing Happy Birthday. Mortimer Musters Goldfish can swim through hoops when it's fed. Polly Peacock's Turtle can climb a paper mache mountain and slide down the other end. Georgie Green's Monkey named Bingo can juggle. And Samantha Scarlet's Cat named Missy can walk across a balance beam. Now, all of the other pets, it doesn't matter. I just thought it was fun to share what all of their (laughs) little tricks were. The only pets and tricks you need to know for the purpose of this mystery is that Georgie Green's Monkey named Bingo can juggle and Samantha Scarlet's Cat named Missy can walk across a balance beam. Now of all of these talents so far, I don't feel like a lot of them are great. The turtle climbing up a mountain and sliding down the other end doesn't really seem like anything fancy in particular. I think the parrot singing happy birthday is my pick for the best. I would think so. (laughs) But this doesn't matter. We have a missing cat to solve. So Samantha is in the backyard practicing with mittens, her cat that can walk across a balance beam, when her mom calls her in for lunch and guess what lunch is. Bonus point if you can guess what lunch is. Tuna fish sandwich. No, we talked about it today. What did I eat for lunch all of the time growing up? Oh, peanut, peanut butter, butter and jelly, jelly yeah. sandwich. Ding, 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 ding. <laughs> so it's peanut butter and jelly sandwich with a, a platter glass of, of milk. Them. I <laughs> Yeah. I was a growing boy. I was very hungry. I've given you each a bonus point for nailing this. So the score's now four to four. So yeah, she goes in to eat a peanut butter and jelly and a glass of milk, a very Michael Schubert approved lunch. And when she comes out to the backyard, mittens, her cat is gone. She looks everywhere in the backyard to find it. She cannot find mittens. So she hops on top of her fence and calls over to her neighbor, Miss Lavender. Again, another color name. And Samantha asks if she has seen where mittens went. Miss Lavender says that she has not seen wherever mittens went, but she says that she did see a boy in their backyard, and he was wearing a green jacket and green pants, so it has to be Georgie Green because the Clue Kids, much like their adult counterparts in the board game, have to wear the the color clothing as their last name. (laughs) Which I thought was silly at first, but if my last name was a color, I'm pretty sure it would immediately become my favorite color. So Samantha calls together the rest of the Clue crew, and they are going to go to Georgie Green to confront him because clearly he has stolen this cat. When they accuse him of doing so, he is taken aback, and he is very upset that they would accuse him. What's Georgie's gig? What's his pet? He's got the monkey named Bingo. Oh, he's got the monkey. Okay, all right. Gotcha. So Georgie is very upset that they would accuse him of this dastardly deed. And he says that all I was doing during lunch was helping Bingo practice his juggling. Georgie says that he can prove his innocence because he happened to be filming Bingo juggling while they were practicing. So he takes the kids inside and plugs his camera into the VCR, right? That's how <laughs> yeah. I would imagine you would yeah. make it happen. In the happen. 90s, yes. Absolutely. <laughs> so plugs it into the VCR. Unless it was a beta. Oh, God. Could have oh, been a Betamax. beta. Betamax. Yeah. <laughs> So he sets it all up and plays the video and you can see at the bottom of the video that it says October 5th, 12.03 p.m. Since she was eating at lunch, she was eating at noon, this is his alibi. And when he is playing the video, Mortimer Mustard says, I don't know, you can hardly see bingo because of the long shadows that the trees are casting. And Georgie says, yeah, I knew that too. So we went inside and filmed the rest of it inside. So he fast forwards the tape a little bit. And then when he stops there inside and Bingo is juggling and the bottom of the screen from the tape says 12.07 PM, same date, October 5th. And there's a clock in the background, a standard analog clock. And that also says 12.07 PM. So this is Georgie's alibi of how he wasn't over there during lunchtime to take mittens. Polly says that he probably could have changed the times, and Georgie denies this, but Peter says he knows Georgie is lying. So I turn to you two. How does Peter know that Georgie is lying about where he was during the theft of mittens? So you said there's a couple of, oh, there's a,
2: there's a, there's four minutes missing. He had till 12.03. He fast forwarded. Oh, he fast forwarded. So So there was filming. Yes, it was still filming. Was the continuous film. So he's outside, there's shadows. And then he says, oh, let me go inside to get better lighting. And the, and the, and the camera's still rolling. What the book
0: says is that he just hits fast forward and then hits play when it gets to 1207. He gets to 1207. Right.
1: So he fast forwarded through when he took the cat, if in fact he took the cat.
0: He fast forwarded in the four minutes that he is laying forward that it took them to go from outside Outside with the juggling monkey to inside inside with the juggling monkey.
1: That's when he. That's what he is saying
0: those four minutes were. And the reason he went inside is because the sh- there was shadows from the tree? Yeah, and you said you couldn't really see the monkey while he was recording because they were outside.
1: So we're trying to prove that Georgie really did take the cat. Yes. I was going in a different direction.
0: You think Georgie's innocent?
1: <laughs> well, no. If you tell me he took it, but I thought what I was kind of focusing on was that the cat was walking across the balance beam and they, when they asked Miss Lavender, was it? Mm-hmm. And there was a fence between them. I thought she, the cat took the fence to be like a balance beam so I'm thinking oh Miss Lavender did it because Uh whether she meant to or not the cat walked across the fence and then maybe she just said oh here's a kitten and kind of rescued it if you will
0: okay so I was I was a little is guilty
1: I was a little off from following those clues because I had my own scenario going (laughs) in my head
2: okay all right and who thinks he's guilty mustard?
0: Yeah, but honestly, it doesn't really matter.
2: (laughs) Somebody thinks he's guilty and he knows why. And you kept talking about clocks all lining up. The clock in the house, the clock in the VCR.
0: Polly is the one that brought up that he could have adjusted the clock and changed the clock on the camera to make his alibi look airtight. But Peter has definitive proof that Georgie is lying.
2: Let me ask you a question. Where did they go inside? Inside
0: whose house? Inside Georgie's Georgie's house. Georgie was in his backyard filming the monkey. Georgie took the monkey inside his house. Oh, oh, I see what you're saying. Everyone was at their uh, own respect. Well, I'm thinking that Georgie was in
2: her yard. <laughs> no, no, Okay, no, no, so no. he's in his own yard. hmm Okay, and he knows that he took it.
1: Does he live right next door to her? I assume so. Okay, they yeah. all walked
2: so over to he, So here's my theory, because I don't know any other theory here. I was thinking about, ooh, shading, the trees in the shade, so it's a different time because the sunlight, but it all ha- should have all happened during noon because that's when What's-Her-Name went in to have her... Peanut butter and jelly sandwich, or Michael Schubert special. Mm-hmm. So, what I would say is, when they all went back to view it, he
0: saw cat hair on his clothes. Okay, I am going to award each of you a bonus point. I'm going to give Barb a bonus point because I like you thinking that Miss <laughs> Lavender was guilty because <laughs> it's pretty funny. Barb suspects funny? anyone. <laughs> I just <laughs> like, I just like that you're like, she did it. She's lying about not seeing. Never the liked cat. her. <laughs> But Joel, I'm giving you a buzz point because you were so close. The correct answer is that they say that the shadows were long shadows from the tree. would have been you could later in it, the day. But if it was noon, noon it they would have wouldn't been. have been long shadows. So that is the proof that he filmed this whole thing at a different time. Okay, that's And that's how they knew yeah, it was. There wasn't cat hair or anything. Yeah, so.
2: Okay, but that was kind of how I was. I was trying to think
0: how... Filmed at a
2: different time. Okay. I get I get that. Mm-hmm. I
0: yeah, gave yeah, you yeah. a bonus point for a close but no cigar okay. situation. And mom got the <laughs> that neighbors up to no good and I never liked her. She didn't bake me cookies when I moved in. She didn't Ms. make Lavender. Me almond biscotties oh, like true. Kelly did. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> yeah, while we're recording this, Kelly is making and putting together almond biscottis, Ooh. which is very exciting. So at the end of this second round, the score is tied five to five. It's a close one. We now get into the case of the movie madness. So the Clue crew is going to see a matinee film of a whodunit movie called The Mystery of the Black Veil. There's actually a really sweet moment, which is rare in these books, since it's usually them just being rude and awful to each other, There's a sweet moment where Samantha lends Wendy a quarter because she was 25 cents short of the $3 children's ticket admission fee. So they all get their tickets, and when they get inside, they're trying to determine where they should sit. Georgie and Mortimer want to sit in the front so that they're the closest to the action. Peter and Wendy want to sit in the back because they don't want to hurt their necks. And Samantha, in another sweet moment, says, why don't we all just sit in the middle? We should all sit together. Let's compromise. I just like that of the eight mysteries in this book where all of the things that are happening are terrible this one mystery is the ray of hope where they're actually nice to each other ray
1: of sunshine
0: so they all decide to sit in the middle of the theater which is the correct answer and that is the right thing to do when you go to see a movie and just as the movie is about to start the usher walks in it's a teenager he walks in and tells everybody to get out of their seats and walk into the hallway because someone at the theater saw a kid sneaking in from the side door of the theater, and they wanna check everybody's ticket stub to see that everyone that's in the audience actually purchased a ticket. So as they are leaving their seats, when Peter walks by the usher, he goes, "'Hey, if someone saw the guy walking in the side door, why can't they tell who it is? And the usher goes, what are you, some kind of detective? And then Peter <laughs> Peter Plum goes, well, actually, I, and then he goes, I don't want to hear it! <laughs> Which is really good. So the usher then further clarifies that the door was facing directly into the sunlight, so whoever saw him walk in couldn't make out the features of who walked in the door. So they line everybody up and they start checking the ticket stubs, and Georgie notices Bobby Blue, again, color name, and he and Peter are convinced instead that he is the one that snuck in because Bobby Blue apparently is the town bully, goes around town. He's this book's Bugs Meany. And he's cheap. (laughs) I guess. I don't know. They just think he's a bad dude. In the illustration, he's wearing a leather jacket, so you know he's guilty for sure. But when they peek over, they're trying to see, oh, does he have a ticket or not? When they peek over, they see that he's got a little stub. It's half ripped, but you can see, like, admit one, $7 on his ticket. So they're very upset that he doesn't appear to be guilty because they really think this guy did it. When the usher is going through asking, everybody for their tickets Wendy can't find her ticket stub and she's very distraught because she's like I totally thought I had it I thought I put it in my purse I don't know what happened and she just simply can't find it so the usher thinks that she is guilty and she's just making up excuses he wants to take her to the manager to I guess put her in time out I don't know you do to children that sneak into theaters no (laughs) puff but Peter intervenes stands up says that he knows that she is innocent and he knows that somebody else is guilty so I turn to you two how did Peter know this
1: who was the little girl that was a quarter short?
0: Wendy, who ended up losing her ticket, okay, was a so quarter short.
1: Say the ticket was a dollar. Did Wendy give 75 cents to the person who bought her ticket? And maybe that person has two ticket stubs and Wendy doesn't have any because she didn't actually purchase the ticket.
0: Okay. All right. I could see that. That's a fun guess. That's pretty good, huh?
2: <laughs> <laughs> God. So he knows that somebody snuck in the side door. They're all sitting in the middle. Mm-hmm. The usher said, who told him someone snuck in?
0: Someone working at the theater. Somebody
2: working at the theater, so mm-hmm. somebody sneak in. Right. We're trying to prove it's not Wendy.
1: And mm-hmm. Peter says he knows it's not Wendy. Right. Because it's him. <laughs> well, it's, no, it's not
2: Peter. So, I mean, just an obvious reason would be he
0: knows it's not Wendy. Does Peter have a ticket? Yes. Every other kid uh, besides has Wendy ticket. has their ticket. The only other ticket that they saw was the one that I described from Bobby Blue.
1: Was it the correct ticket or was it a ticket to a different show for a different date just a random Ooh, there ticket. there you stuff. go mm. first of all you said it was seven dollars that's a good, that's a good one there, so you know that price is the bad off. boy could have been mm-hmm. yesterday's
2: ticket my guess would be obviously who's trying to save wendy peter. peter 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 was with her when she purchased a ticket but how could he
0: prove that he was with her
1: well did you say they came in together two people came there were
0: all of the kids were back to back in line so they
1: all know they all bought the ticket mm-hmm I think either Wendy doesn't have the stub because the person who so, helped her out or the guy had a different ticket for this something This is a Seinfeld else.
2: episode where George loses his ticket and he has to buy it like three, <laughs> three times. times. Cause he gets Cause kicked out of the Because they won't let him theater. back in because yeah. can,
1: he can't find his stub. We just went through this. We just did this two minutes ago.
2: I.
0: That's my only guess that he was with her. We saw her purchase the ticket like I don't have another guess. All right. Three points to Barbara Schubert. She is correct. If you noticed the very small detail in the beginning, she had a quarter to make it $3 and his ticket, the admit one stub that they saw was for $7. So he had an old adult ticket from. I didn't, I didn't know that part. I tried to to hide it really subtly because the book makes it very obvious. You'll notice the picture, which I can put on the pages, Instagram. He has a very big ticket that says admit one, $7. In his leather jacket and bad boy haircut and big boots. He's like a child version of Bender from The Breakfast Club. So clearly he's guilty. So at the end of this round, Barbara leads eight to five as we get into our final mystery. Uh Uh-oh. The case of the dinosaur disaster. (laughs) Dun-dun-dun. I feel like I'm going to have to add that every time I say a case now from now on. So the class is going to the science museum on a field trip. Georgie is the most excited because he is obsessed with T-Rexes and he just won't stop talking about Tyrannosaurus Rexes. Wendy says that her favorite is the Brontosaurus, but Peter corrects her, gives her a well actually, and says that the Brontosaurus is actually an outdated term and they are now called Apatosauruses. So Mortimer Mustard makes fun of him for this and says, how about a pat on your back and slaps him in the back and then says, got you last. Now I turn to the two of you older folks than I am. Is this like an old school version of Tag? I've never heard of calling it Got You Last.
2: I guess so. I guess you could interpret it
0: that way. I I imagine that's what it is. It's just the same thing as Tag. You're it. Yeah, Yeah. Got you last. Okay. Yeah. yeah, So So they play this throughout the entire bus ride. The two of them, Peter and Mortimer, are playing Got You Last the entire bus ride on the way to the museum and then they stop at the museum itself. When they get there, they meet their tour guide, Mr. Black, another color, and Mortimer Mortimer and Peter do not stop playing Got You Last, even when they are inside the museum. <laughs> of course not. Now, this is the point where I'm very conscious of me saying the word museum a lot, and I'm pretty sure I just said it as museum because I've been made fun of for the way that I pronounce <laughs> this word, and I'm still not 100% sure what is right. I've been told by Kelly that it's museum. 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 Okay. Is it a Northeast thing to say Museum. Have no, 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 I've, no I've never where, heard no, where that. Where did I pick that I up? In France? Know. I don't know. Oh, God. Because I was doing a improv show in Seattle for comedy sports, and we were I was hosting, and I was doing the game where you have people guess stuff, and you have to turn to the audience for suggestions, and someone said museum, and I think I said museum, and then everybody started laughing at me, and I was very confused because I didn't tell a joke, and that's the only time people should be laughing. <laughs> and I asked what was up, and someone said, you said museum funny. And your fly and was no. still up. Um, <laughs> it wasn't open or right, anything. <laughs> And I was so confused because I didn't remember how I had said it. And it was one of those words that I thought is just could be pronounced either way. So then I was very nervous because I knew the next time I said it was high stakes, but I didn't know what was the correct one or what was the way that I said it or what was the way that was, I was made fun of for. And I just kept flip flopping and they kept laughing at me and it wasn't a very good day. <laughs> so they go to the museum and they are continuing to play Got You Last. All throughout or tags, as, tag. as we know it today. <laughs> One of the instances of Got You Last is Mortimer unzips Peter's backpack and all of his books fall out. And while he's picking up the books, he slaps them on the back and says, Got You Last. Later on, Peter pushes Mortimer from behind so hard that he falls into a exhibit of a raptor, like a raptor <laughs> bone structure thing. It doesn't break, but he falls over. And when he's on the ground, he slaps him on the back and says, got you last. Great morals include Junior. <laughs> Just, you know, rough house in the middle of a museum. So then they finally make their way to the T-Rex exhibit, and Georgie is so hyped. He is so excited. Mr. Black starts ripping off facts about T-Rexes. He says Tyrannosaurus Rex translates to King of the Thunder Lizards. I knew this because I took Latin in high school. And he also says that T-Rexes can grow up to 40 feet long and up to 18 feet tall when they're standing upright, and that's the orientation in which the exhibit in the museum is. So after checking out the exhibit, it's the last thing on the tour. They're starting to leave to head back to the bus. But Peter and Mortimer are staying behind, continuing to look at the T-Rex exhibit. As the class is getting ready to leave, they hear a big crash. Oh, no. And of course, all of the T-Rex bones are scattered across the floor. And the, the is it a skeleton? What do I yeah. call it? Yeah, uh, the, skeleton. the skeleton is ruined. Oh my. <laughs> So, Miss Redding is absolutely livid, understandably so. She says that the two of them have depraved children in the future from seeing the exhibit because it's going to take them weeks to restore it. I love that that's her first concern. It's not right. that Anyone's you, may have, hurt. you may have damaged a priceless exhibit or somebody got hurt. It's, what about the future children who can never see the exhibit? She demands an explanation from Mortimer and Peter. Mortimer right away blames Peter, says that Peter wanted to take a bone from the exhibit to give to Georgie as a gift since he is so obsessed with T-Rexes. He explains that Peter grabbed the T-Rex's arm and then the whole thing came toppling down. Peter starts to try to defend himself, but Miss Redding says she doesn't want to hear any excuses, which is very reminiscent of how I remember being tattled on in school. Like when I was in first grade, if someone tattled on you and you try to say that they're lying, I feel like the teacher very often went immediately to, I don't want to hear any excuses. It's <laughs> not an excuse? I'm not guilty. Robbie was just lying. <laughs> so Peter tries to stand up for himself. Miss Redding is having none of it, but Georgie steps in and says that he knows that Mortimer is lying. So I turn to the two of you. How did Georgie Green know that Mortimer Mustard was lying about what happened? So
2: Mortimer said that Peter went and pulled the arm down. Is that yes. correct? Yes, yes. Okay. And you're saying that Georgie knows that
0: Mortimer isn't telling the truth. Yes. Georgie just knows that Mortimer is lying in his story about what happened.
1: So Mortimer Mortimer said that Peter did it.
0: Mortimer said Peter did it. Who
1: unzipped the backpack?
0: Mortimer unzipped Peter's backpack. And Mortimer said Peter did it. Yes. He's a jerk. (laughs) (laughs) I never liked Colonel Mustard. (laughs) Mortimer. I'm
1: already having problems with this, issues with this story, from way back when the backpack was unzipped and the books fell out because you would never bring your backpack full of books on a class trip. <laughs> I, like that, yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> I like that Barbara well, was supposed to go well back. unless you're going
2: <laughs> to the US Open and you're studying, then well, you true. would bring it. We could have been in a New York <laughs> museum and Michael had a study on a, on a coffee break, <laughs> right? I don't think I ever did that, <laughs> but I did used to have you to did. bring- You would bring your books to the U.S.
0: Open. Yes. So anyway. So for, anyway. Cla- for context of everyone, <laughs> when I was growing up in New Jersey, we would go to the U.S. Open tennis tournament over Labor Day weekend because my uncle worked- Well, no, no, no. This was when you were in tex- Texas. In, in St. Thomas. St. Right. Thomas gave you all that homework. We would still do it over Labor Day weekend. I would have to- always have so much homework but we would go to the us open because my uncle volunteered for the usta he could get us free tickets it was our excuse to go to new york every year kind of thing it was great And I just always had so much homework when I would go. And I remember one of the times we were flying from Texas to New York, I had all of my textbooks in my backpack. And when it went through the x-ray machine, it just looked like a big black rectangle. And the whole security was like, what is this child doing? What is this 14 year old doing? (laughs) It's It's just books. And then it was just all of these books because, yeah, I'd have so much homework. So we would go to the U.S. Open in the day, and then I would have to spend the rest of the entire evening while we're in Cramming. New York, the city that never sleeps, in a hotel room just doing homework for the rest of the day. It was terrible.
1: But we picked you up from school and went straight to the airport, so right. you had all your books. And you had okay. to do it in the lounge waiting it to get on the plane. You had so much homework.
0: Mm-hmm. Right, let's get back to the story. <laughs> All right. One final detail. I used to break my backpack every year because I carried so much books. In <laughs> oh, yeah, <that laughs> is the is true, true sense of nerddom <laughs> yeah, is my
2: backpacks yeah. never lasted this, a year. <laughs> yeah, they would rip at the seams. Absolutely. All right, so let's let's just backtrack here real quick.
1: <laughs> well, first of all, he could never get close enough to the exhibit because they're all roped off. This is the but, 90s. Come on, they they're not the roped. Rope. Come on. Nobody looked at it. Oh, but he it. can't reach the hand. It's way up in the air. He's 18 feet tall. And, and uh, and T-Rexes like have very short it.
2: hands. Yeah. So that's that's a lie. That's how he knows it's a lie. And he can't reach but, it. Well, he knows he's lying because obviously he probably had saw him. But going back to your theory a little bit. So let's just recap. Who, who's the kid with the backpack? Peter. Mortimer said Peter did it. Mm-hmm. And Peter is going to defend himself, but doesn't get a chance to. Mm-hmm. Okay. So here's my theory. Backpack theory. So Peter didn't pull down on his hand. Peter turned around and his backpack. Whacked it
1: with his backpack?
2: With whacked it with his backpack, or his backpack got stuck on something when he walked away. The whole thing came. But he
1: did down. not pull the hand. He didn't pull the hand. T Rex
2: had very very small hands. Didn't you see Jurassic and they were Park? A Come on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or Toy Story. Very small hands. Rex <laughs> right, right. has very small hands. So that's my theory. The backpack, and how would Georgie know it? Because maybe he just maybe he. So as. When Georgie realized that they weren't behind him, he turned around and saw Peter turn and his backpack hit it and maybe knocked it down. So he knows he didn't do it on purpose because Mortimer's saying he he did it and he's just lying how he did it and, and it was probably an accident and Peter's trying to explain
0: my backpack caught it. That's my theory. Okay, so I will be giving a bonus point to Joel, the Misery Loves Company bonus point because my thought was the arms are too small. If he took down an arm, it wouldn't make the whole thing topple. And my reasoning was that Georgie knows this about T-Rexes, so he knows that's a lie.
2: And he couldn't jump up. So that's the real thing. To get the Barb orb. said it
0: first, so I'm giving Barb the full three points because it's 18 feet up in the air. How would they go and grab it to make it all topple down? And that was something I just didn't notice on my first read-through. And then I went back and they explained it. Now, further proof that you could have realized is if you remember in the ongoing game of Got You Back, the most recent thing that happened was Peter pushed Mortimer into the raptor exhibit. So Mortimer wanted to get Peter back. So (laughs) he pushed
2: him into the- So
0: what ended up happening was he pushed him into the T-Rex exhibit and that's what happened. So it was Mortimer's fault. So you were kind of close with the backpack thing, but it was Mortimer wanted to get Peter back. He pushed him into the exhibit. And then what's really great in the solution section when they do it is Georgie gives this whole explanation. Mortimer gets in trouble. And then Peter goes over like pretending to try to- console Mortimer and then slaps him on the back (laughs) back. (laughs) because
1: no matter what happens you have to win the game
0: it's awesome I'm glad Peter did that because Mortimer just tried to I don't know what the punishment for this is but it feels pretty significant if you ruin a museum exhibit especially if they cause any damage so the fact that Mortimer tried to throw Peter under the bus here I'm glad that (laughs) Peter was able to get him with the ultimate Got you back. There you go. So that is the end. And Barbara, you are victorious in this episode of Meddling Adults oh. with a score of 11 to 6. You have earned money for the Jeremy Fund. So Barbara, how does it feel to conquer Joel? <laughs>
1: <laughs> it just feels wonderful to earn money for the Jeremy Fund.
0: Right. It is a And, and to cause. be
1: p- part of your podcast.
0: I'm glad we could finally make it happen. Yeah, this, this was so is much fun. It's been a long time coming. So
2: after you have your multitude of guests. Mm-hmm. We need a rematch because
0: <laughs> I'll never be able to live this because down. Because
1: dad wants to continue with Gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: We'll have to do a rematch either with you two or we bring Megan into the mix and it's a three-way family showdown. There there we well, go. you
1: should do Megan and Travis. Uh, we
0: could. We could get Aurora in here. The possibilities are endless. Just don't
1: do the first eight books of Clue Jr. Yeah, we'll because have to. <laughs> that's not good for Aurora to learn these types of unacceptable behaviors. They're
0: horrible and it was funny when I was getting these books off of the Used online bookstore that I was getting them from. Someone had the review where this person said, "You know, the books are fun and I like the mysteries, but be careful because they teach horrible lessons." The other mysteries in this book involve property damage. It's they bro- one of the kids broke the window of someone else's house and then tried to lie about how that happened. There was a faulty note written to try to get someone not to be able to compete in their Clue Junior debate club type thing. They have a debate club where they just play the board game clue junior against each other someone wrote a faulty note so there's forgery involved like there are truly horrible dastardly things that these kids do to each other so i'm very glad that from edition eight on they end up doing some good things like our more trusted detectives like encyclopedia brown
1: and yet when you were in grammar school Mm -hmm. there was a huge debate should we let you read the books captain underpants
0: Oh, that became a big debate. That
1: was a big deal because supposedly it was bad language, but it was like 10-year-old boy language. It was potty
0: humor. I have all of those books in my bookcase there.
1: And the consensus at the school was if they're reading. Never (laughs) discourage them from reading. (laughs) That's good. So you two can read. Captain Underpants and have a successful educational career.
0: That's great. Yeah. Look, I've done it. I'm exactly. I basically a professional book reader at this point. So, you know, Captain Underpants probably where I am today. There but no, go. I appreciate the fact that I don't know where it all started, but I always liked Encyclopedia Brown as a kid. And when I was home for Christmas most recently, when I was trying to think of the idea for meddling adults, I went through my old bookcase, which we have upstairs here, and I found... Encyclopedia Brown, edition number one, with a receipt in it for, of course, $4, because we bought it in the late 90s, and it was from Borders, the bookstore that doesn't exist anymore. I
1: had a job in Princeton, where there was a very small mall, and in that mall, there were three bookstores. And every day on my lunch, I went to the three bookstores and checked out the children's section, and it was when Megan was reading Babysitter's Little Sisters series. Oh, okay. And she had to read them in order. Uh-huh. So I went bookstore to bookstore to bookstore just to keep Megan in books and then find books that you would be interested in mm-hmm. because you both had different interests in reading.
0: Megan liked it and I didn't. <laughs>
1: Yeah, you didn't show that much interest in reading no. at a young age. So it was my job to find books that you were interested in.
0: You did a good job. You did a poor job. I mean, th- thankfully, it all worked out to where I didn't like Harry Potter growing up, which was fine. But I was really into those sports books. Like, I have seen yes. of those Matt Christopher books. Holes by Louis Satchard, though, was my favorite, though. I think that was the first book where I actually enjoyed reading. And that kind of actually kickstarted me into reading for fun again. But that was the time where you used to have to Beg me to read like a chapter a night of a book, whether it was for anything, anything. And the one time I did more of it, I think I was reading holes, and you said, I'll come up in 10 minutes to tuck me in, or whatever. And then I just kept reading (laughs) and I went for another hour or so just because I was so captivated by the story.
1: Yeah, it was just a matter of finding out the books that interest you. And Encyclopedia Brown did it, and all those sports books did it. And you were more into even biographies at a young age, like. About Derek Jeter, whoever. You just didn't Mm -hmm. want to read anything fictional. (laughs) I want
2: about castles or. sorcerers or any of that stuff. I'm not
0: interested. No, I want things where I can picture myself. I want to be a detective solving crimes for quarters. I want to be a baseball player or a kid that gets sent to a correctional facility where you have to dig six feet by six feet holes <laughs> in the desert. You know, things where you can actually see yourself. Uh, so Barb and Joel, thank you so much for being think- on no, the podcast. Thank I'm you. glad. It's been a long time coming to have you on a podcast with mine. You're just not Harry Potter experts, so it doesn't really <laughs> work. But I'm glad we make this happen and you did pretty well. You, you were very on top of these mysteries and I guess that's because in these books they have kids but in our case we had a couple of meddling adults. But <laughs> <laughs> thanks for listening to Meddling Adults. Meddling Adults is created, hosted, edited, and produced by me, Mike Schubert. It's co-produced by Multitude. The art is by Maayan Atias. The music is by Bettina Kampamanas. And the website is by me and Kelly Schubert. All of the prize money that goes to charity comes from our Patreon, patreon.com slash meddlingadults, where you can also get access to a bunch of audio clips, bloopers, and anything else that doesn't make it into the show. You can also contribute to our charity prize pool with a one-time donation at paypal.me slash meddlingadults. If you want to follow the show on social media, it's at meddlingadults on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And reddit.com slash r slash If you want to learn more about the show, you can go to meddlingadults.com, and if you tell someone about the show, whether you reach out to someone directly, you think of someone that would like the show, and you say, hey, I think you'd like the show, or if you leave a rating and review online, both of those really do help. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next week for the season finale!